So we have no greater job description, no greater designation than we are the people of God who live in the world, but we're not of the world. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Well, this sermon is, uh, was written this week with our graduates in mind, no doubt. Uh, but I hope that you will glean as I have uh, how much this is a needed word for all of us today. I was, you know, writing a graduates, 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 and then pretty quickly it was like, oh, Strebeck, 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 this is for you. Uh, this is something you need to hear. Um, how many kindergarten, first grade, second grade teachers do we have in the congregation today? How many people that, that have either taught those grades or maybe your parents with kids in those grades right now? And I see some, yeah, I see some hands and some people that aren't going to raise their hand, but we know who they are. Um, and so... Uh, you know, God bless you, first of all. The rest of us just shake our heads and go, yeah, we can never do that. Um, but one of the exercises that, that kids, that teachers will do with kids at this age and, uh, you know, all along the way is they will do an exercise with their, their students, and it will be a list of fill-in-the-blank questions. Um, if you've ever had to do a psychological exam for a job, it's basically the same thing. Um, it's, you know, my dad, fill-in-the-blank, and then you get all kinds of hilarious stuff. So I was visiting my uh, nephews this week, and one of them is in kindergarten, and they had a little thing, you know, tell us about your mom, and then tell us about your dad, and so they filled in, you know, what do you love about your dad, and what is your dad's favorite food, and what does your dad do, and so my nephew was like, well, my dad's favorite food is chicken, and they're like, what does he, what does he do? Well, he feeds cows, and, you know, so I was like, well, that was a nice one, Graham, you know, got, but um, then it went on, and I read the one that he wrote about his mother, and, you know, these are the best because you never know what your kids are going to say. I remember when our kid was doing this in Children's Day Out down here in our preschool, and there were some hilarious things. And I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's, that's embarrassing, but okay, good. Thanks, thanks for saying that. Um, but, uh, but my nephew said, and the very first thing was, um, I love my mom because. And he wrote, I love my mom because she loves me. I love my mom because she loves me. That's the most unbelievable theological claim that you can make about life and about love. I love my mom because she loves me. What else is the gospel besides we love Jesus because Jesus loved us? That's, that's it. You know, First John explores this. It's, it's, the good news is not so much that we love Jesus. The good news is that we have been loved by Jesus, and therefore we reciprocate the love that we have experienced, that we have shared. We love God because he first loved us. We love Jesus because Jesus has loved us. And I can't think of something better to remind people leaving home or starting something new or just going out into the world on a Monday morning to be reminded of than the motivation of Christianity, which is not that we ought to love God because we need to be good little boys and girls, or we ought to love God because it's the right thing to do, but that we love God because we have experienced the depth and the height and the breadth and the length of the love of God that is for us in Christ Jesus. And as we experience that, we turn that love around and we begin to love Jesus. 
We love Jesus because he has first loved us. And so it goes on down the line that when we, when we see uh, tragically all the time the absence of love in a person, we can trace it back to the absence of an experience of the love of God. People don't just not love because they just decided to one day. They they choose not to love and don't live in a way of love because they haven't experienced the kind of love that sets us free uh, that we find in Christ Jesus. So um, Jesus in the text that we read earlier in John 17, he's he's finishing out this uh, area that we've been in in the Gospel of John uh, known as the farewell discourse. These are Jesus' last kind of big words to his disciples. It's his swan song. And as he gets to the end of sitting with the disciples, you know, and they've been through the foot washing and they've talked through all this stuff and there's going to be a new commandment. You're going to love each other as I have loved you. Uh, This is how you show that you're bearing fruit. You're going to love each other and you're going to follow my commandments. And by loving each other, you're going to obey my commandments. And then people are going to know that you love me and so on and so forth. And he finishes, the text says that Jesus, after he had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and he began to pray. And so people have identified this as something like the high priestly prayer of Jesus or something like that. It's a great thing to read, to be reminded of what Jesus prayed for his disciples and what he prays for us. And so uh, a lot of great things in here, but he's praying for the men and the women that have been given to him. He says, you know, Father, these men and women have always been yours, but you gave them to me for a little while. And I took them, and I protected them, and we worked together, and I didn't let any of them go. Another good reminder of how God works with us, how Jesus holds on to us. And uh, he says, you know, you gave them to me. They, they are in the world, and I've taken care of them, and now, uh, we're, now I'm sending them out. So just as I left the Father's throne, and I went into the world, in that same movement, I'm sending these disciples, your children, I'm sending them into the world. And so we have this movement of, of this group that has been gathered together by Jesus. You're, you can remember him, you can picture him walking along the shores of Galilee with the guys fishing and doing all the stuff they're doing, and Jesus is gathering them one by one and two by two, and they're coming in from all places, everybody from the good, obedient Jewish boys to the wild people that we read about in Luke's gospel who were way on the other side of anything Godward, and Jesus has pulled them in, and they're following Jesus, and he's, it's just, you can imagine this nest, or this little herd imagery, and he's like, I've gathered them together, and now it's time. Now it's time to open the gates, and we're going back into the world. And he says, now they're not going into the world to be just like the world, but rather they're going into the world to demonstrate that there's a love that supersedes the, the love that people tend to, the thing that people tend to settle for in the world as love, he's like, there's something greater, and it's the love of God, and these people are going to unleash this on the world. And they're going to do that by living like they belong to Jesus because they do in a world that is hostile to Jesus. So Jesus says, hey, if they persecuted me and they didn't accept me, then they're definitely not going to accept you. So you should expect to be persecuted. And so Jesus introduces this idea of the world. And in John's gospel, the world is not a friendly place, you know. We sometimes talk about the world as, you know, oh, the beautiful world and the creation and sunshine and all that. And that is so so true. But in John's case, he's talking about the world as the awful place that it can sometimes be. 
the place where people die too soon, the place he introduces three times in John's gospel that the ruler of the world is the evil one. And so this is a hostile place. The world that we live in is enemy-occupied territory. And so Jesus is not preparing these disciples for a just humdrum, you know, easy way of life, but he's preparing them for battle in a world that is hostile, hostile very often to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's important to remember when we see the world that, uh, that this is a world that we live in, that we don't need someone to remind us of how rough it can be, that the evil one is at the helm of things. Uh, but Jesus tells us at the end of chapter 16, and we're singing a little bit later, he says, look, in the world, you are going to have trouble. It's not if, but when. And he says, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. So he's, he's giving them strength and saying, look, when you face adversity, uh, you're going to face that in the world, but I am greater than the one who is in the world, and I am the one that lives inside of you, and it's going to be okay. And so he talks to them about the eternal life that we begin to experience now, not just when we die and we go to heaven, but when we live here and we know Jesus, that is the real eternal life. So when we see the world, we know, uh, that, we know that God loves the world. So when you hear him say, well, now Jesus says, hey, I'm not praying for the world right now, I'm praying for y'all. Uh, it doesn't mean he doesn't pray for the world, it doesn't mean he doesn't love the world. It just means right now in focus is, are these disciples, and he's equipping them to send them out. So it's complex. You know, the world is loved by God, but it's governed by the evil one in as much as it doesn't love Jesus back. You know, so the world is loved by God, but surprise, surprise, not everyone in the world loves Jesus back, and that's where we get that disparity. That's where things get off kilter. And so it's a good reminder that uh, we always remember God's disposition towards us, towards the world, towards us in our worst day of our life. Uh, God's disposition towards us is still love. It's still that uh, undeniable love. But as we grow and as we respond to Jesus, then we get that title of belonging to Jesus in the world. Right? It's like we agree. It's, it's easy to get people to agree to the gospel of Jesus, to say, do you believe in Jesus? Do you accept Jesus as your Lord? And the alternative is something really awful. Yeah, we're like, heck yeah, sign me up. That's easy. Uh, and, and you look at anywhere the kingdom of God has advanced in the world, the, the missionary movement of the 19th century, whether it was in uh, Taiwan or in Uganda, where it went from, you know, like even in our case of Methodist churches where we had zero to where we had 30 in 10 years and 30,000 people in Uganda, uh, the, they would tell you day in and day out, yeah, I can reach as many people for Jesus as I can speak to on the street said one bishop, but what is tough is discipling them. What's really hard is getting them to live like Jesus in the world. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's what's really tough. So that's the, word we're t that's the work that we're talking about, and that's the difference when we send people into the world to be in the world, but not of the world. That's John's language as he's telling us what Jesus prayed. I pray I'm sending them into the world, but they don't belong to the world. So they belong to me, but they're in the world. So we have no greater job description, no greater designation than we are the people of God who live in the world, but we're not of the world, right? We're not like the world, but we live in the world. And so sometimes we find ourselves living a little too much just like the world, and it's a wake-up call, and we hear that, and we go, oh, yeah, okay, I need to get back on track. 
You know, and then other times we find ourselves going, you know, I've been really growing my faith and really growing, but I realize I'm not really engaged in the world. I'm kind of living over here in a bubble. So it's time to, you know, go back into the world and live this life that God has called us to. So I want to encourage uh, our graduates and encourage all of us today, uh, number one, that Jesus prays for you. If you've never heard that before, it's been a while since someone reminded you, remember that Jesus prays for you. He prays for you, and he prays for me, and he prays for the places that we're going. This gives us great hope and confidence. And for those of us who are sending those who are leaving, uh, it's encouraging to remember that as we pray for those that we love who are going into the world, uh, that Jesus prays with us and that we join Jesus' prayers. So those days where you feel like you don't know what to pray and you're not sure how to pray and all you have are tears, all you have are screams, all you have are restless nights, know that Jesus is praying for you and he's praying for those that you're praying for. And finally, I uh, want to encourage you guys uh, and, and, and some of us aren't at this youthful age anymore, but don't wait until your more settled years to chase after Jesus. Don't, don't have in your head this picture of following Jesus that looks like, you know, well, when you're in your 40s and your kids are running around and then, then you'll kind of re-engage in the life of discipleship. But contemplate now the cost of the love of Jesus and the joy that awaits those who follow him. Consider your own mortality. And may you find true eternal life in knowing Jesus now as you go into the world belonging to Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.